Well, I want to talk to you about something so radical, <clears throat> and we saw it just, and I, I, I leaned over to my wife, and I says, this is exactly what I'm preaching on Sunday morning. You see, in America, we really admire the self-made man, and that's the reason so many people are a mess, as they've made their self rather than let God making them a new person. We really admire the Lone Ranger, but the Lone Ranger, as we looked at last Wednesday night, had Tonto in his life. But we kind of have gotten this thing all backwards because, as you've heard me say many times in this pulpit, we really do need one another. We really do. We're not like deep sea divers with our, our lifeline re- leading up to the great white hope, uh, ship of hope above, but we need each other in our lives. We need to do life together. The Bible even says that Jesus said, They will know, the world will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And to have community is more than coming and sitting and looking at the back of somebody's head in church. That's not community. There are people that you sit with every week or sit behind every week, and you know exactly how much hair or how much hair they don't have on the back of their heads because you sit behind them and you look at them. But we need those times together where we're doing life face-to-face, where we're doing community together, and there are people that we belong to with one another. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, stand with me this morning. Let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 12, and verse 5. Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. Christ's body is referring to the church. We are parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. And we look at someone and say, oh yeah, you complete the body of Christ. And then we look at someone else and we might go, oh, I don't know if they... We need everybody in the body of Christ, right? It takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have a different work to do, so we belong to each other. I belong to you, you belong to me. We belong to each other... And each needs all the others. We need every one of us, including those of you that are part of our online campus and are worshiping with us online today. So I want you to join me in prayer, and I want you to ask the Lord as I pray, God, open my heart, because this is a radical message this morning. Open my heart, open my mind, open my ears so that I can hear your word and apply your word and live your word out in my life. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking you right now that we live in a culture that teaches us independence rather than interdependence. Lord, we live in a culture that teaches us self-reliance rather than Christ-reliance and learning how to rely upon one another. Lord, we live in a culture that teaches us self-motivation And not teaches us how to motivate one another to good works. So I'm praying that, Holy Spirit, you would revive in all of us, especially those of us that are followers of you already. You would revive in each of us, renew within each of us that which we once felt, for we long to be with members of the body of Christ in small groups and in community, Lord. And finally, I pray, Lord, for those that have never crossed the line or maybe slipped away from their faith, they've been backsliding, Lord, that you would call them back to yourself, draw them back to the warmth of fellowship with you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I need others to walk with me in life. 
And I am so thankful that God has given. Through the years, God has been so faithful to give people in, to me in my life who walk with me. Because there have been so many people who've walked with me in life, I've been safer in life. They've looked out for, for behind me. They've looked out for me. They've looked out for around me. Occasionally, I've had a taillight to go out of my car. I didn't know a taillight went out of my car. But somebody that was behind me would stop me and say, you know, your right taillight is out or your left taillight is out. And I go and get it replaced and get it fixed. There have been times when there are people in my life it's just kept me safer. They said, you know, there's something I've noticed happening in your life that just doesn't seem to be you or doesn't seem to reflect the spirit of Christ. They've, they've kept me safer. I've worked in a lot of big cities around the world, cities like Bangkok, cities like Addis Ababa, cities like uh, Nairobi, Kenya, around the world, northern and southern hemispheres. And I've always felt safer when I have been with a group of people, because as we've walked together in life, we've gone through these inner cities, we've gone to drug dens, we've gone to places that would have been dangerous to go along. But it's also smarter to walk with other people because other people have made me smarter, they've made me brighter. And you might be thinking right now, well, you need some more smart people in your life to help you sharpen up a little bit. But other people have made me smarter in life. But one of the great things is the people that have been so supportive of me in life. They have come alongside of me and they've supported me prayerfully. They've supported me with friendship and encouragement and love. And at times, even financially, they've been a part of, of supporting and helping me. Walking is the way the Bible describes our Christian life. We walk in love. We walk in the Spirit. We walk in unity. We walk in good works. Walking is the way God describes us. And as you listen to uh, the ladies this morning, as you listen to them talk about walking their six miles together as they practice the Daniel plan, you and I need to walk with one another. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So first of all, I need to walk with Christ. It's safer, it's smarter, and Christ is very supportive as well as forgiving in my life. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Bible says, it's not good for man to be alone. So God created the woman, and I'll tell you, I've been safer, I've been smarter, and I've had so much support in life by walking with my beautiful bride for all these years. The Bible also says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. I've been, been safer. I've been smarter. I've been supportive because we've always been a part of a local church. We've always been a part of a church, even when I was traveling, that came around our family and loved us and loved our children. You see, the reason God says it's not good for us to be alone, the reason that God says let's not give up the habit of meeting together and worshiping together is because one of the things that happens in life is if we're not careful, we become lonely. We isolate ourselves. We isolate ourselves because we want to be that self-made individual. We isolate ourselves because maybe we've been hurt in past relationships. Maybe we've been hurt in church. Maybe we've been hurt in ministry. And so we isolate ourselves. Another reason that sometimes we isolate ourselves is because we get tired. Ministry is fatiguing sometimes. 
That's the reason it's important that you go daily to the well and you go and you, you refresh yourself in the Lord, you worship the Lord, you read His Word, you feed upon His Word. But ministry can also be fatiguing if you're constantly giving out and you're not a part of a community that can pour back into your life. You see, community is God's answer to loneliness and fatigue. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 30, when you gather for worship, each one of you be prepared with something that would be useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. Take your turn, no one person taking over, you all learn from each other. Somebody asked me one time, well, isn't that the way Sunday morning worship should be? And I said, no. Because especially before COVID hit and all of us was here, as everybody stood up and had something to say, we'd be here all day long. But the early church actually met in small groups. They actually met together, and then they would go to the temple on the Sabbath day. And that's the reason the Bible tells us that was Jesus' habit. That was the early church's habit. But in those small groups, they could take turns encouraging one another, praying together, singing songs together. And that's one of the reasons that Woodland is not a church with small groups groups, but Woodland wants to be a church built upon small groups. The Word of God goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If I am carrying out my ministry the way that I should carry out my ministry, that it helps the church to be healthy. It helps the church to grow spiritually. It helps the church to grow in love. If you carry out your ministry, ministry doesn't mean being a pastor because all of us are called to ministry. But if you carry out your ministry prayerfully, you're going to help others to grow. You're going to help others to, to grow in love. You're going to help them to grow spiritually, but you're also going to strengthen one another. Another. And this morning as I was praying with Pastor Corey before the service, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, I want you to read this verse with me this morning. The Bible says, open your homes to each other without complaining. Let's read that together again. Open your homes to each other without complaining. How many of you want to obey God's word? Can I see your hand this morning? All right. Some of you don't want to obey. You don't want to bust hell wide open. How many of you want to obey God's word this morning? Let me see your hands. There we go. I think we got 100% there. Let's read it again together. Put it back up there, please. Open. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have snapped like that. I'm in a hurry. Open your homes to each other without. I didn't hear you. Without. Without. You say, well, pastor, my home's dirty. Go home and clean it up. Pastor, my home is too small. We don't care. We want to be together. We want to be close. I'll sit on the floor in your home. Somebody else can sit in the chair. You might have to help me up, but I'll sit on the floor. I can get down there pretty easily. Sometimes getting up is another story. You see, the Bible says, open your homes to each other. Do you realize kings, emperors would trade places with the average middle-class person in America today to have what you have because we have so much and yet we compare ourselves to the rest of the world. Number two, I need others to work with me. I need others to help me in ministry, to work alongside me. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. God made us, circle that word in your outline, us. 
God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us, circle that word again, us, to live our lives doing. You see, I need you. You need me. We need each other to work together. Once when I was a youth pastor, I had a big, heavy log brought into the church. And so we bought this big old heavy log into the church, and I got some of our strapping country boys to try and lift that log, and they couldn't lift. Well, they knew they couldn't, and they knew what was going on. But I got 12 young men around that log, and they squatted down, and they lifted that heavy log up. And I said, now before I get in trouble, take it outside the church. And all the rest of the youth group were, were applauding them and clapping for them. But we need others to help us in our ministry. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4 and verse 9, two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. It's why that the Word of God teaches us that community is God's answer to fatigue. Remember I said that ministry can get wearying? When we're working together, we're not breaking our backs. When we're working together, we're not hurting ourselves. When we're working together, we're actually getting more done for the glory of God, and we're bringing blessings, and we're bringing hope into other people's lives. Thirdly, this morning, I need others watching out for me. I need prayer partners. You need prayer partners. One of my prayer partners called me this week, and he said, you know, I was praying. He just out of the blue, picked up the phone and said, I was praying for you this, this morning. And he said, I felt like the Holy Spirit laid this on my heart. I trust him or he wouldn't be my prayer partner. He's not weird. He doesn't just pull stuff out of the blue. He doesn't need attention. He said, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to call and share this with you. And it was exactly what I needed for that day because there had been so many opportunities that came up. And the wisdom that he shared with God's Word you see, I need others working with me, helping me. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, look out for one another's interests, not just your own. You see, the self-made man, the independent man, just looks out for himself. The selfish person just looks out for himself. How many times have we heard this? you got to look out for yourself because nobody else will. May that never be true at Woodland Church. May that never be true at Woodland Church, that you've got to look out for yourself because nobody else will. We want to look out and watch out for one another. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1. Keep being concerned about each other as the Lord's followers should. That word concern doesn't mean wringing our hands and worry. That means that I need to be pulling for your success. I need to be working for your success. You need to be working with others for success. And that's why a small group is so important. Let me tell you about a story that kind of will go along with the Jesus Revolution. I had been trying to reach Valdosta State University for two years when I was youth pastor in South Georgia. And Becky and I just couldn't seem to get a breakthrough in the school. So I decided that I would become a student. And for the rest of our time there, I took classes every quarter with the blessings of my pastor and my church. And I took classes there at every quarter. We, we got involved on the campus, became a part of the campus life, found professors that were followers of Christ. 
And all of a sudden, God began touching young people from that college. Kids that had been going off and spending the weekends getting drunk. Kids that had been going off and doing drugs. Suddenly, God did such a powerful move of His Holy Spirit that we had an entire campus ministry spring up. Our church brought me a ticket to fly to Springfield, Missouri, which is where the Assemblies of God's headquarters are located. And I met with the college ministry pastor for the Assemblies of God and said, what do I do? And he goes, I don't know. I'm as new to this as you are. And so together, Dennis Gaylor and I began to pray about how we reach that campus. And what happened was, not because I knew what to do, not because Dennis Gaylor knew what to do, but God sent a move of His Holy Spirit where hundreds of students were being born again, filled with God's Holy Spirit. Today they are county sheriffs. Today they are missionaries. Today they are pastors. Today they are in bakers. Today they are investment people. Today they are school teachers. Never underestimate what God can do through your small group when we all pull together. Some to give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah. The Bible says, look at this next verse with me in Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. There are even, three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Sometimes people go through life and they get beat up. Sometimes missionaries come home to us and we have to take time to heal them and work with them because they've been in an area of the world where maybe they and their wife are the only Christian witness for Christ. They're in an undisclosed region of the world working to serve Jesus, laying their lives on the line every day. They don't have the comforts and the joy of gathering with people like you and I are doing. Sometimes they may spend their whole four years and might reach only two or three or four people. Recently in our Saturday prayer service, we were praying with one of our missionaries in one of those undisclosed countries that his family kidnapped their first, con their first convert and they were going to stone him as an honor killing because he had given his life to Jesus Christ. We began to fast and pray here at Woodland. We were praying together on our Saturday prayer services. We were fasting and praying across this state of Michigan because he's one of our Michigan missionaries. He's preached from this pulpit for us before. And, and, and his family, when they got ready to stone him, he asked for one thing, can I pray for you before you stone me? And he dropped to his knees and he lifted his hands to heaven and he began to intercede for his family that Jesus would reveal himself. Something happened while his hands were lifted and his eyes were closed in prayer. When he opened them, his entire family had fled and left their rocks behind. He returned back to the missionary. They reached three more people for Jesus Christ. You see, community is God's answer to defeat. Community is God's answer to when the battle gets so hot and intense that you don't know if you can make it. Community is how God answers defeat. They reached three more new converts. His family came and kidnapped him again because now the community was threatening him for his testimony and threatened his family for their testimony. And the same thing happened. He, when the community gathered around to stone him, he dropped to his he said, can I pray for you? And God changed their hearts and they dropped their rocks. I'm not saying they've all came to Jesus, but I am telling you, when two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ, nothing can be impossible to us. Somebody give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. 
So I'll say it again. Community is God's answer to defeat. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, if one person falls, the other person can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And so in an email that I sent to our missionary, I said, some might criticize that after three years, you've only reached three people for Christ. You have cracked the dam. You have cracked the stronghold. For the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I am praying for a nationwide revival to happen in this country. Listen to me, family. Don't ever, ever give up. We've got to encourage one another. Number four, I need others to wait and weep with me. I need others to wait and weep with me. I need people who have compassion. I need people who have sympathy. As a pastor, I've sat alongside so many people who just needed someone to sit with them. In those times, people don't ask me for advice. They just want me to pray with them. They just want me to sit with them. When you're grieving and you're hurting real deeply, People aren't wanting you to come and say, you know, lift your head up, buck up. They're just wanting you to be there and to pray with them. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, you should be like one big happy family full of sympathy toward each other. And I'm going to have to be honest. There are times, there are times in life that I can remember when Kim and Teresa and I were little and one of the other of us had been so aggravating, and mom and dad dealt with the one that needed dealing with. And there were times we sat there going, finally, what took you so long? And then there were those times when it was Kim or I, or he was getting in trouble, and we just wished for the sympathy. You see, most people don't need pointing out what's wrong with their life. If you're going to have a happy family, you've got to have a family that is sympathetic and compassionate to one another. For the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. When somebody in our church loses a loved one, when somebody in our church gets a diagnosis of cancer, when somebody in our church has lost a job or had a broken marriage, this whole body suffers. When somebody in our church sins against God or sins against another member of the body of Christ, this whole body suffers. And rather than react judgmentally or with stones, we have to have compassion and sympathy and go to God in prayer. There's a lot of truth to that old song, and maybe you've never heard it, that says, let Jesus fix it for you. He knows just what to do. There's a lot of truth to that song that when we go to God in prayer, God begins healing. God begins fixing. God begins repairing. God begins encouraging because community is God's answer to despair. When we're gathered around one another and we're, we're, we just feel like we've lost all hope, community becomes God's answer to despair in our life. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, the Bible says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Once I told you, I have found out that when I can tell people my failures, 
People often seem to react better to my failures, and they want to hear about it because it encourages them to hear maybe how I've come through it. But you don't often hear as many people who want to hear about your successes in life. But we have to learn to rejoice and to weep. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, the Bible says this, encourage each other and strengthen one another. So before you leave this sanctuary today, ask yourself this question, who could I encourage on the way out? Who could I strengthen on the way out this morning? When you go to your small groups this week and, and you sit down with one another and, you, and you, you begin to study the Daniel plan together and you follow up and you're reading the Word of God together, ask yourself when you go, how can I be an encouragement? How can I be a blessing? How can I strengthen the other person? And if you go to a small group and someone just doesn't seem to be with it, maybe instead of giving advice or, or trying to just buck them up, maybe just lay a hand on their shoulder and let them know you're there and that you love them and care for them. And then I need others to witness with me. I need others that will just simply be a witness with me. 24 years ago in this community, People would often tell me things that were discouraging and things that were, you know, just whether it was from the bank or whether it was in somewhere else in the community, people would say things to me. But through the years, this body has developed a reputation of caring. It was said this week in a meeting about how this body blesses and encourages our community and that it gives to our community rather than takes from our community. Do you realize what a powerful witness for Christ that is? The Bible says that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. The Bible tells us that we prove our love for Christ when we can walk together and love one another and witness together. In John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, because you love each other, you're being like Jesus who loved his disciples. You're being like Jesus who loved the sick, who, who Jesus who loved the leper that nobody else would touch. Jesus who let the woman touch him who was unclean, and his cleanness touched her uncleanness and washed it all away and didn't make him one last bit unclean. When you touch other people, they are not going to contaminate you. You're going to touch them with the love and the power of God. Can somebody say amen to that this morning? Lost people are not going to hurt my witness. When we love people together, God's Spirit works through us. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The Holy Spirit, God's gift, does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. Somebody said to me, Pastor, I'm afraid to be in a small group. I'm afraid if people really, if I open up and people really get to know me, they won't love me. And I go, you're afraid of people. Don't be afraid of people. There are people that will love you just like you are. 
Don't try to change. Don't try to take on a personality that's not yours. Be who God created you to be. Because when you're with other people, it's not only smarter, it's not only safer, it's supportive, but you will find out you will become, as this verse says, look at it again, 2 Timothy 1.7, the last part of the verse, you will become wise and strong, and you will begin to love people, and you will enjoy being with them. Take it from a certified introvert. The more you spend time with people who love Jesus, the more you enjoy being with them. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? You just simply enjoy being with them. So God's answer to fear is community. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, listen to how Paul describes the Philippian church. He says, you are working together and you are struggling side by side to get others to believe the good news. I'm asking you, work alongside of me. Work alongside of each other. Encourage each other in the Daniel plan because as someone said to me this week, I'm afraid to try it because I've tried so many diets and I've failed. The Daniel plan is not a diet. It is about abundance. It is about joy. It is about beauty. It is about food. It is about faith. It is about fitness. It's about focus. It's about family as well. And we're the family of but we're the family of God. So let me close my growth work this morning. I want to give you an outline from a book that had a powerful impact on my life. Eleven indispensable relationships. Every one of us need these eleven relationships in our life. I'm going to be real quick with them, so you want to fill these blanks in quickly. Who is your Nathan? Remember, Nathan was the one that came to David and pointed his bony finger at his face and says, "You are the man." Who is the editor in your life? Who is your Jonathan? Jonathan, by being a true friend, who is your Jonathan, a true friend? Jonathan was willing to give up everything, the throne, so that David could become the king. Who's your true friend in life? Who's your Jethro? Jethro was, was um, Moses' father-in-law. Who's your butt kicker in life? He came around and said to Moses, he said, look, you got to get this together, man. You're going to be wore out. So who comes along and kicks you in the rear end and says, let's pull it together. Who's your Timothy, your protege, somebody you're mentoring? Who's your Barnabas, somebody that encourages you and mentors you in life? Who is your Peter or Paul in life? Who's your Yoda? Yoda that looks at you and says, don't say try, do. Do. This morning, I know this is going to, I'm going to give some criticism for this. So when you write your emails, address them to Corey Mance at Woodland.Church. I almost wish I could float and be green this morning and say, go do community. Do community. Don't say I'm going to try it. Do it. Who's your Deborah who covers your back? Who's your Zacchaeus? Who's a person that you've taken into your life that everybody else rejected and hated? Who's your Rhoda? Remember that little girl that nobody believed? She says, he's knocking at the door. Who's that little one in your life? Who are your VIPs? Your Lydia and Lazarus, the rich and the poor. And where is your place? Or your Jerusalem, where is your place? And then this morning, are you filled? Do you have that invisible 12th member in your heart and life?
the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who's our comforter and our counselor. I want you to stand with me, and I want to pray for you this morning. And after we pray, we're going to receive our offering. So, ushers, if you can get ready. Community takes effort. If you're watching online, community takes effort. We're willing to start Zoom small groups for those of you that are watching that haven't found a local church yet. Those of you watching online that you're afraid to come back to church because maybe you're still afraid of COVID or something of that nature, we have two sections where we spaced it out where you can sit at a distance from somebody, but you need to be part, not only of a local church, but of a small group as well. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me, just like I'm going to ask everyone in this sanctuary to pray with me this morning. So would you bow your heads? And I want you to pray this prayer and just repeat it after me today. Every one of us. Say, Heavenly Father, I can't hear you. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for creating me for community. Thank you that it's not your will that I be alone. So I pray that you will bless my life with a group of people that I can do life with. And Lord, thank you this morning that it's not your will that I be fatigued in ministry. That I not be fatigued in ministry. So I pray blessing with people who will help me in ministry. And Lord, I'm hurting this morning. I need people that will be compassionate in my life. And I need to be compassionate towards others. And Father, I ask you, make me stronger by doing life with others. Make me smarter by doing life with others. And help me to find the support and give the support that we all need in life. And now I pray that my love for others will demonstrate that I'm a passionate follower of Christ. Forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my heart. And as much as I know how, I fully commit my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. I ask everyone to pray with me to commit their life to Jesus. And if you did that, please remember the, the Bible. That's the book that Pastor Corey was referring to earlier in the service. We want to send it to you. We'd love to give it to you today. And let me know before you leave. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
You see, giving is about putting God first. Giving is about worship. I mean, we sing songs to praise Him and to thank Him for His goodness to us when we gather. We pray prayers that we know God will answer because we have needs. We listen and we apply God's Word to our lives. We put Him first by gathering like this to worship. But bringing to God the first fruits of our life demonstrates to God that, Lord, we recognize what we've received has come from you. So if you're having troubles relationally, if you're having troubles, for instance, with your time management, if you're having trouble with maybe your financial management, why don't you try putting God first? Give God the first part of your day in prayer and worship. Give God the first part of your time by giving Him the first part of your day. Give, put God first in your relationships. I'm going to tell you, I love Becky. Becky loves me, and I love you, and I believe you love me. But God comes first, and that's what makes those relationships healthy. The moment we put one another above God, then we're no longer healthy. So if it's time, if it's finances, or if it's relationships or find money, put God first and look how God will bless your life according to what we just read from His Word. God bless you as you give this morning.